Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Teamwork A Better Way podcast. I'm Christian Napier and joined by the incomparable, amazing Spencer <laughs> Horn. Spencer, how are you? I am fantastic and so excited to be with you, the talented and brilliant and just uh, synapse firing host. <laughs> wow. I've never been complimented with a synapse firing adjective. Uh, that was uh, truly original. <laughs> I'm blushing over here. My synapses are all firing. It's true. Uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about synapses this week uh, as we get into our topic. But before we dive in, uh, how was your weekend? Gosh, good. I drove to St. George to work with a nonprofit to do a retreat. Drove down in the morning. That was four hours. Did a spend a couple hours with them and drove back and just a busy, busy day, but so wonderful. And talking about what in a lot of respects, what we're going to talk about today. Well, what are we going to talk about today, Spencer? Because uh, it was really prompted by an article. I can't even remember which which of us saw it. It was an article that was ink uh, in Ink Magazine yeah. online. Uh, that talked about inflation proofing your career. So let's dive into that. You know, and, and that's and that's pretty juicy as a as a tease, right? I mean, because right now many of us around the world are experiencing, and we have for quite some time, in inflation. You know, money supply is keep increasing, and and that's driving costs up. And sometimes wages aren't following at the same rate that costs of goods and services are, are increasing. And, you know, this is something that was talked about last year by the brilliant Warren Buffett. And he was actually talking about it at his uh, uh, Berkshire Hathaway board meeting. And he was talking about this idea of how do you, you know, because we were experiencing inflation last year in the United States. And I know many of our audiences listening all over the world. We have people that, that listen in different parts of the world. And in today we have a, a, a pretty much a global economy and, you know, things that are happening in, in Ukraine are impacting Europe and the world. And I mean, it just, it happens all the time uh, where there, there's just, there can be some variations in the economy, but he was talking about it last year, Christian, and he said, you know, the, the number one thing for you as uh, as anybody, those of you who are listening to, to really recession-proof or inflation-proof, because you know, a lot of times uh, those are connected. But in this case, inflation is uh, le causing us to be less valuable if our wages aren't going up. So how do you keep your value going up? And he said, be exceptionally good at something and and well that seems so basic right and obviously all of us are producing every day a, a service or a good and doing that exceptionally well makes us valuable and in demand but what's interesting is he said that you've got to invest in yourself and specifically, he said to invest in a skill, Christian, that will allow you to do that one thing that you do really well, even better, that, that raises your value, that raises your even, he, he's saying that it raises your value up to 
percent. And we're going to talk about that. So what is that one thing he said that you should invest in? <laughs> I was just going to ask you the same question. Uh, but really, uh, what he talks about investing in in terms of our skills is communication, something that you have spoken about so much, Spencer, you've been you've been really leading the charge on this notion of communication and being able to 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 develop that. Uh, it's it's a timeless skill because uh, ultimately no job is performed completely in a vacuum and you have to work with other people. And so having the skill to actually work effectively with other people, which is foundational uh, communication. I mean, it, and, it, and it cuts across all industries, right? It does. It does. And, and I feel like with, you know, the last couple of years from 2020 till now, the, the need for our communication skills, even with the onset of AI being so much more prominent in the workplace, is even greater. People who are working remotely because they think, well, I just want to get out of the office because I want to be productive. As you said, you still, you cannot do that work in a vacuum. There has to be a, a, a marketplace for ideas. And, and, you know, there's got to be a place where you can come together as different teams and, and, and just all the different, uh, what, what is the word I'm thinking about? All the different professions and, and uh, experienced perspectives in, within an organization. You can't just you know, come up with ideas on your own. You need all those different uh, perspectives. And so in order to do that, there has to be a place for you to come together and discuss. There has to be a way to exchange ideas, and that way is communication. There has to be a way to persuade uh, or dissuade, uh, there has to be a way to overcome disagreement or conflict. And that way is, is, is communication. It's, so what I'd like to do today, if, if it's okay, Christian, is I want to talk about, start off by talking about why, why would it be value, uh, increasing someone's value by 50%? Well, let's talk about the problems that come from poor communication first if that's okay. And then what I'd like to do is talk about what are the skills and that, that you need to, to develop that are around communication to help you. Let's do it. Okay, so let's take the first point there, Spencer. Uh, what is it about communication that can increase our value by 50%? Well, so I, I just had a comment. I'm always having conversations daily with teams, with people. I'm doing a I'm doing a 360 currently on um, on an executive. Uh, I do uh, real 360s. I don't know if you know what those are, but a 360 evaluation. And I just completed one for for another client. Uh, this was a this is a manager in a firm that we want to just improve his awareness or her awareness about how they are really interacting with their um, management team, with their peers, with their direct reports with vendors. And sometimes we're just not aware. Well, today I was doing a different kind of 360 where I'm reaching out and talking to uh, past partners, past employers, just to, to really help get a, a clear picture of what's going on with 
with one of the uh, individuals in this organization. And the person I was talking to was just so clear about the impact of communication. He says, you know, I spend more time talking about the dysfunction on the team than we actually do on producing results, going after opportunities than having business discussions. So think about that right now. I mean, if, if you're spending, I don't know, how many hours a day on, on dysfunction, on misunderstandings, on frustration, on, on emotion, that's time that is not spent on productivity. So what is, what's the cost to the organization? Well, it can be significant, right? Because uh, if you are losing a significant percentage of your available work hours to these non-productive things, then by very definition of productivity, you are not contributing to the profitability and the performance of the organization. It is a direct drag on the productivity and profitability of an organization. Therefore, if someone is effective at communication, meaning they can share ideas, they can bring in different perspectives and deal with different personalities, if they are able to get through conflict or address conflict in a productive way, that means more time is spent on productivity rather than on the dysfunction. And it was frustrating for this individual because he's like, listen, I, I, I just want to get work done and, and, and I can't. And, and this is a scenario that is not unique. It is happening all the time in organization after organization. If you're listening to this, you know, and you can, you can chat, you know, put it in the chat if you're seeing those, those kinds of things uh, that you've experienced in your, your organization. So, so that's one thing. Um, let me give you an example, Christian, of how poor communication happens. Let me see if I can grab a piece of paper. If you've got a piece of paper, if you're listening, I would like you to pull out a piece of paper and follow along. And what I'd like you to do is I'm going to just use this piece of paper I have here. I'd like you to draw a rectangle. Okay. So if you're listening, just draw a rectangle. And then I'd like you to put, yeah, hold on. Then I'd like you to put a circle in the middle, put a circle on top, and a circle on the bottom. Okay, okay. that's what I drew. And this is what you should have drawn. <laughs> okay, so my question is, how come yours is different than mine? We didn't practice this or talk about this, did we? We did not. Okay, I, I, I mean, I just did this from the stage to 400 people in San Diego. Why? Because the organization I spoke to asked me to come in and, and talk to chapter leaders about how to create engagement, how to improve their communication. And this was just one little example I, I, I gave, and I had the whole audience and very few people had that. Why? Was I not specifically clear? Draw a rectangle. A circle in the middle. A circle on top and a circle on the bottom. Was I not 100% clear? No, you were not. Oh, I wasn't. Because, because number one, uh, you didn't say the orientation of the rectangle, where it sh whether it should be horizontal or vertical. And when you said a circle on top, well, does that mean 
uh, a circle on top of the rectangle or a circle on top of the circle inside of the rectangle. So the, ex the instructions were not uh, explicit enough for you to get the outcome that you wanted. Ah, so, so the problem is all mine. Well, we all, everybody brings with them assumptions about what, you know, what is meant when they're told so, something. So what I hear you say is I should have been more explicit in my description of my instructions. I should have been a little more detailed to make sure that you understood. Or you could have just drawn the rectangle with the circles inside of it and showed us a picture and said, do this. See, but here's the point. How often do we do just what I did and people all the time start shooting on us? You should have done this. You should have done that. And we shit on each other all the time. And you were shitting on me a little bit, but what about what you should have done? Who I should have asked question. There you go. So who is responsible? But actually, for but actually, this is a very, I think it's an important point, uh, Spencer, uh, that you're, you're, you're bringing home here is is um because you are in the position of requesting this right mm -hmm. uh uh then we just fall under this I, and i did it right here i just fell under this thing like okay well i'm gonna do this i'm gonna draw and we're just doing an exercise so the stakes are fairly low right so i'm just gonna draw this and i'm gonna do this and that and the other and and then see what happens so yes you're right that i should have said hey um so how do you want this rectangle? Do you want it horizontal? Do you want it vertical? And do you want all the circles inside of the rectangle? Yes or no? But I didn't ask those questions. And I, I think that happens even in a regular setting beyond just a simple exercise yeah. like this. Because here's what, so, so here's the concept. In one-way communication, there is almost 100% failure rate. So how often are you listening on the call here and you've given instructions and it didn't turn out the way you wanted or you thought you were perfectly clear and it turns out somebody interpreted what you said differently it happens every day all the time and there is a philosophy of an effective communicator and this is such a simple concept christian that you know we think well gosh well that that you know that is so simple that we don't do it we don't do it and if you did this one thing and that is Take 100% responsibility if you are communicating to make sure that others understand. If you are listening, regardless of your position, you take 100% responsibility to make sure that you've understood what is being asked of you. So if everybody's taking 100% responsibility, we may take a little bit extra time up front, but it will actually save us time because we don't have to go back and correct, correct the mistakes that we did or deal with some of the challenges that came from from those errors. All right, can I share you a, a real life personal example of how this applied in my profession to double my salary? Love it, I, so, so this, this is why you get paid the big bucks, Christian. Okay, so here's the scenario. I'm a recent college graduate. I've only been in the professional workforce for a couple of years, right? Yeah. I'm at a client site. I'm new to this idea of training and consulting. I haven't had a lot of experience doing it. And I'm at the client site and we're doing a training. The client asks a question 
about whether the software can do this or whether we can do this for them. And I immediately say, no, that's not something we normally do. Someone that I work with who was helping to train me pulled me aside later and said, never say no when someone asks a question like this, but make sure you ask more questions so you have a very clear understanding of what they're wanting. So never just out of the box say no, just follow up with some questions. So what do you mean by this? Or, uh, you know, so what are you looking at? And what is it you're trying to do in terms of timing and uh, what kind of resources and so on and so forth. So you've, you know, you've got a list of questions that you have in your head. Fast forward a couple of years. I'm approached by a person who I knew who had gotten into uh, uh, Oracle HR uh, and payroll implementations. This is the 1990s. Everybody's focused on Y2K. Yep. He says to me, hey, we have an opportunity. Uh, we are looking for a, 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 a functional consultant on Oracle HRMS. Is that something you'd be interested in? My initial inclination is no, because I don't know anything about Oracle HRMS. I'm not even an HR person. Why should I do this? But I remembered this lesson, this communication lesson taught to me a couple of years earlier. Never just come out of the box and say no. Ask some questions. So I started asking some clarifying questions to understand better what about the opportunity. And I thought to myself, well, I, I'm deficient in some areas, but why not? I'm going to take a shot. So I applied. And even though I didn't have some of the experience they were looking for, I had learned enough about the job and was able to talk well about it enough that they ended up making an offer. And the offer was for twice my current salary. I literally doubled my salary and it's because someone taught me a communication skill and the communication skill was don't say no on the outset, but listen, ask questions and listen to what the person really wants. So, you it know, changed my life. It sounds so basic and, and yet it's so true. I mean, you can have somebody that's so brilliant in their field and yet they struggle to connect or explain their ideas. So we do have a comment. Well, I didn't even follow my own advice. I should have done what I, I should have been asking <laughs> questions to draw this thing because that's what, that's what that lesson was about. Don't it just is. say blah, blah, blah. Don't make assumptions. Just start asking questions and get to the heart of the issue. But this get is a better why, understanding. This is why we're talking about it. This is why yeah. we're talking about it. So we've got Eric Pearson. He's a project manager, in mechanical engineer. He says, I'm no financial advisor, but this is my number one strategy. Um, and, and so anyway, so he's just throwing up something about, about crypto. But I, th I thought he was talking about number one strategy to, uh, to increase that is, is, is more communication. So uh, interesting. Well, let's, uh, let's keep going. So I've talked about my mentor in the past, Kelvin Cullimore, and he would always tell me, Christian, the number one problem in business, number one, is communication. 
it, it, it causes so much pain. It causes so much expense that if you can, as a, uh, in whatever you do, learn how to effectively communicate to reduce those, ex- those mistakes, your value to an organization goes up and it's worth at least 50% of whatever anybody is paying you because you have learned how to do what, what Christian just talked about. You know, it's interesting that uh, Project Management Institute, I know we have a lot of project managers that, that listen, they uh, published a what's called the Global Project Management Jobs Trend for 2023. And we've talked about this on, on previous shows, but I want to reiterate it because it's relevant to our topic today. And it says, which skills will deliver a career advantage? And their research corresponds with what Warren Buffett is saying and what, what corresponds with your experience and my experience. The number one skill is communication at 68% of uh, those who were, were, were polled as something that has impacted their career. So these are power skills that project managers need to really excel and set themselves apart from, from their peers. And that's the number one skill. So that's, that's another reason. Um, so what gets in the way of effective communication? I mean, just from your experience, what do you think blocks effective communication? And if you're listening online, I'd love to hear what, what you have to say. That's a great question. One of the things that I would say is just what we experienced here, right? which is, which is, uh, kind of the Jurassic park method, you know? What did they do with Jurassic Park? They went and found dinosaur DNA in amber, but it had gaps in it. So they used DNA from other animals to fill the gaps. And oftentimes what we do, and we don't even realize we're doing it, is we fill in gaps. We get partial information and we just make assumptions, just like I did on this exercise. And I started filling in gaps and I failed miserably, right? Because I didn't have all the information. I just used assumptions from past experiences and I filled in those gaps and I did it wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why Christian's synapses are firing. He just gave an example of an effective communication skill. And he just gave us an analogy, a metaphor, a story, which we'll we'll talk about in a minute, that helped us understand the problem that we just experienced. And it was brilliant. Well done. Did you just think that up right uh, off the top of your head? (laughs) I've been planning that one for weeks. But no, I do <laughs> that up, of course. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So, um, so here's a couple of things that that I have found get in the way of effective communication. We've talked a lot about understanding the differences of how people communicate, and just assuming that everyone communicates the way the way you communicate. Well, that we've talked about that. That's something I'm sure you're all all aware of. So learning those differences in, in communication styles helps you to give people more grace. Why? Because if you understand that people aren't just doing things to you, they're they're people are more focused on on themselves than they are necessarily on you, but they're doing things that are more comfortable for them. And that may just be different than the way you communicate. Yet those differences lead to problems if they're not understood or addressed. And some of those problems are the following. They are what are called the four toxins of team 
performance, of communication, of relationships, and they have been studied extensively by the Gottman, uh, John Gottman, Dr. John Gottman from the Gottman Institute in, in Seattle in the USA. And he calls them the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse when it comes to communication and, and relationships. Have you heard of, of those before? I have not heard of these. Uh, I'm super eager to the four horsemen of the uh, communication apocalypse here. I'm, I'm... <laughs> right. So the, the first bring one, it on. The first one we actually experienced in the little semaphore uh, exercise, and that's blame or criticism. So, you know, Spencer was not clear. He did not. He was not explicit in his, you know, d uh, discussions or or directions. And so we blame the other person. We criticize each other. That shuts down effective communication and it does not solve the problem. We're, we've all experienced blame in the workplace. When, when it happens, it is, uh, it is not productive. And if you can avoid criticism and blame, then you are going to be someone that is, again, more valuable to an organization instead of saying, well, it's not my fault that you know, that the rocket ship exploded, you know, it's like, okay, what, what do we learn and how do we, how do we move forward and what can I do differently? That's the kind of thing that, you know, really give you more value. Stop blaming. And we live in it and it's really, really hard, Christian. We live in a society where blame is deeply rooted in our culture and taking personal responsibility is something that is, uh, seems like difficult to do. So, the second one is stonewalling, which is withdrawing from the discussion or shutting down or not engaging. So you can see how that could create a problem. If you're on a team, you're gonna, I'm going to punish that person by just not giving them my attention. And that's a, that's a behavior that, that shows up for sure. Um, number three, defensiveness. Somebody challenges you or has a question and you get defensive and again, not being productive is, uh, you know, that's a sign that I, again, I'm defending my position instead of being open to your, uh, your perspective and your ideas. And then lastly, contempt. This is, you know, where we get personal, we name call, we are, are using, um, maybe aggressive humor. Uh, it, it is of all the four this is the one when they were doing research on relationships that they actually had to stop the research because it was causing psychological harm and they didn't want to create psychological harm to their, uh, you know, to the people that they were studying in the, in the research. And now all of us do some of these. And what's interesting, uh, I, Christian, for me, I find this interesting is that each of these styles, I think also, or each of these toxins relates to a style of communication. So for example, blame and criticism, uh, anybody can do that, but I think a lot of high dominance and high extroverts are really good at that. Stonewalling is typically high pace, right? They, they shut down and withdraw. Defensiveness, that, that could be all. Uh, certainly conformity because they have all, you know, they, they've prepared and have answers and want to be right. Uh, contempt uh, could be also conformity just because you know, you, you didn't do the same work that, that they did. Now, that's not necessarily always the case, but there is, I think, some alignment with our natural behavioral tendencies to kind of line up with these toxins. 
my favorite are, are, are blame and criticism and defense, you know, def being defensive. Which ones do you think show up for you? Uh, well, certainly in the example that we had this morning, uh, that was that was it. Although I will say that um, sometimes when you are pointing out something, it may not be in an attempt to place blame. It might simply be making an observation. However, the person who receives that message may interpret it differently than the way that you intended it to be received. That's right. And so you've got to be cognizant of that, right? Like, that's right. But oh, that's the uh, skill that you're talking about is how do you express things in a way that help people to hear what you have to say? That's a, that's a skill that's very, very valuable. And it's, I think, becoming very difficult in today's times. Agreed. Because, because we are becoming increasingly conditioned that if we don't say things exactly the right way, that it gives license for the other person to take offense. And so we are, you know, it, 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 not to say that, okay, in the good old days, it was better or anything, <laughs> but, but because I think we, as, as the science has progressed, as the workplace has progressed, as education has progressed, and we become aware of these personality types and these communication tendencies, as we become a little bit more educated on the subject, then when someone does something or says something that may run afoul of these principles that we've learned, for whatever reason, we feel like, oh, well, he didn't say it the right way, or she didn't say that the right way. If she would have said it the right way, then I wouldn't have received it so abrasively and taken such offense to it because we have some degree of understanding of the topic. And yet, in many respects, we've kind of missed the whole point, right? Uh, uh, because we've allowed ourselves to... To, to engage to in one of the toxins, actually, and to not... Yeah. And, and to, is kind of what we talked about last week in, in how our thoughts create our emotions and how our emotions create our actions. Uh, something that, you know, I've been speaking and teaching about for years and years and years, and we heard them so eloquently explained last week as well. It's a known truth. And so you are allowing somebody else's, what you perceive someone else to be saying to you to, uh, to color how you feel and therefore how you act. But what by eliminating these toxins, we can never eliminate them all the way. But if we can reduce them, if we don't stay there. If we let go of blame, if we let go of contempt, if we let go of defensiveness, then we can engage in more productive communication. And how would that not impact society and the workplace and our families and our churches and our organizations in a positive way? So how do we detox then, Spencer? I mean, how do we how do we get from where we are to where we want to be, uh, so that we are not um, succumbing to these these toxins that are polluting our work environments, that are polluting our family relationships? That is that is a great question, and I don't think that there is just one answer. When I'm working with executives, I what I like to do is I like to really figure out what, which toxin or which behavior is showing up for them. 
and then help them identify what's the behavior that they want to replace it with. What is, what is your preferred behavior? Cause it's, you can't just, you know, say, Hey, well, um, I'm just not going to do it. Well, what is the behavior that you will replace that, that behavior? And so first of all, you have to recognize that you're doing it, admit that it's happening. Um, and, and tie it to some of your, your motivations and understand what, what's motivating you to behave that way. That's the self-awareness part. Secondly, it is to identify what is the behavior that I want instead and, and to hold yourself accountable to starting to implement that and, and just start being more aware that when you're in a situation where you blame or you show contempt or you are withdrawing that you're like, oh, there it is. Okay, what am I going to do instead? Well, my commitment was I'm going to you know, stay engaged and, and point out the and or the positive. Uh, instead of blaming, I'm going to with, withhold that, that blame and replace it with curiosity, for example. I'm going to, well, tell me, tell me more about that instead of being automatically triggered. So that's the behavior. And so then what the accountability is, is at the end of the day, you self-evaluate. How did I do? Did I do my best today to be curious? Did I do my best today to stay engaged as I committed to doing? And to, to more or less degree, you know, you may have some success or struggled. And the opportunity is to not judge yourself when you struggle, but to be curious as, as well. Why did I struggle today? Why was it hard? But just putting focus on the, uh, on the behaviors that you want to create, Christian, will begin to shift little by little away from those toxic behaviors. And it's not going to happen overnight. And the good news is, is we're, we're all doing those toxins. It's just you can't stay there. So if we can stay there even less or even go there even less, then that has an exponentially positive impact on relationships, on communication. So I think that's really where we start. So I have one more story before we talk about some of the other skills that we need to invest in in communication. And this goes back to increasing our value. Remember, you gave a, a great story. Well, as you know, uh, Saturday before last, I was actually Friday before last, I was speaking in, in San Diego at, uh, <clears throat> at this conference of, of chapter leaders, 400 people were there. And it's interesting, I had put out a, a proposal to one of the uh, organizations that was attending this conference to speak at their, their uh, local conference. And I had talked to them about the, the fee and, and I had given them examples of me, you know, speaking and, um, but they were all, all video. Christian, I didn't hear anything back. And I got up on stage. I gave my presentation, feel like I did a really good job of communicating the topic, which was communication. I spent 90 minutes. And after this presentation, this individual walked up to me and said, you're hired. And I just gave the proposal of, that, you know, complete proposal of expenses and everything I wanted. And it's not a small, uh, you know, it's not a small number because what I do is valuable. It has an impact. It makes, it helps people to behave differently, to understand how they can be more successful in their roles. You know, an organization may pay less for somebody that doesn't communicate as well or have as 
big of an impact. But if you can communicate effectively in your life, in your profession, you will earn more, period. Period. And so 50% is probably generous on, on Warren Buffett's part. So Yeah, I agree. And congratulations, by the way, uh, on that. That's that's a that's a wonderful achievement, and uh, uh, you do a fantastic job. So I'm I'm not surprised at it uh, at all. But I'm really really happy for you. No, thank you. And but the, the whole point of that is, is they that's that's the result of of communication, and that is what we are needing to do every single day. So the best investment, uh, according to, you know, Warren Buffett is to invest in that one thing that you want to be great at. Get your certifications, get, uh, you know, all those are, are wonderful, but more importantly, get a track record of success of providing good or service that, that, that you, that you provide. So, you know, if you're a, uh, you know, manager, if you're employee, you know, you have a track record of making the, your manager happy or your employer happy because you've done such a good job at delivering that. I, I mean, how long have you been working with the IOC, Christian? A uh, long time, you know. So I've been in that movement for more than two decades and with the IOC since 2015. But what I will say to this point here, and I think it's very, very critical, is... Uh, when it came to my career and getting different jobs with two exceptions, just two exceptions, they were all because of network. And you cannot maintain good relationships if you don't know how to communicate. There you go. Right. So, so, uh, it's vitally important, not just in your current job, but when, you know, and coming from the perspective here, which is invest in your career, uh, you know, perhaps the most important investment when it comes to communication is establishing and maintaining that network of people because they'll be the people who will be familiar with opportunities that you may not know are even out there. You know, answering an ad on Indeed or Glassdoor or, or LinkedIn is one way to do it. But I found in my own personal career, and I'm sure this is the same with you, Spencer, that most of the opportunities that have come my way have come my way because of relationships that I have with people. And relationships are all built on communication. Absolutely. And that is, I mean, I, I love that. And that's so true. And think about people who end up leaving an organization to go somewhere else for greater opportunity. If they if they leave for the wrong reasons, that those stories begin to catch up to you. The communication starts to, to build in your favor or in your disfavor. And eventually it, it's going to have a cost on uh, your ability to, to maintain. There's going to be a cost or a drag on your ability to, to earn more money. So this is truly an inflation. Inflationing, is that the word? <laughs> <laughs> inflationing inflation proofing that's it inflation proofing okay uh so what are the skills that we get to invest in um you need to you need to he says you need to do the ordinary 
everyday things exceptionally well. What are ordinary everyday things, Christian? Phone calls, interviews, conversations, meetings, assignments, coaching, correction, dealing with conflict. Those are everyday things that we need to do exceptionally well. So I think that's that that's really, really important. So let's see. Carla Klein has a comment. Let's see what, what Carla says. What gets in the way of effective communication for me are the assumptions people make before you meet with them. What do you have to say to that? Yeah, well, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier with the circles and the semaphore, right? A lot of this was based on assumption. And and so uh, how do we how do we take assumptions out of the equation or leverage them in our favor? Yeah. I think that's a it's a really important thing to to learn. So I think that that comment's a really good comment, you know. Uh, and to be aware of that, I think is the first part of that process to is to be aware that, oh, people may make assumptions about certain things and we need to make sure that we clarify uh uh, so that um, if we're going to do something that might be running counter to assumptions that we've accounted for that already uh, in our interaction. You know, I, I, I want to say something to, to Carla's comment that, you know, if you're listening to this, sometimes there are uh, unfair assumptions made about people. And, and it's absolutely true that it happens. For example, there are some times uh, biases how genders are supposed to behave and act in other words if someone who is a a professional uh, female that they are supposed to behave or talk or or communicate in a certain way that's a that that's a bias and so if you come in and you're you're strong and and you're confident and uh, and yet you're new on the team people may assume that you are arrogant or uh you know, not out for, for your own self. And that may be a, 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 you know, a false assumption. So there is a responsibility, as we said in the beginning, that you have of understanding that people may be making those assumptions about you. And the responsibility is you can blame and say, well, they're making judgments about me and, and, and that, that are unfair. Or you can say, hey, they're making judgments about me that are unfair, and so I need to be more aware of how I can help them to shift that and take responsibility 100% of the time on how you are being received, your message is being received. I can't make you accountable, Christian, to be 100% responsibility to understand, but I can help you. I can help you by talking in a way that you can actually hear me and begin to shift those uh, you know, those assumptions. And I think that's really, really, uh, important that we take responsibility even, and and that's, and that's a hard doctrine, right? Because it's like, well, they're being unfair. Well, so they are, Well, you have a choice. You can let them own the situation and you continue to be viewed in a negative light where you can figure out how to, how to convert them to your being a fan of, uh, of you, whoever, you know, if this is happening to any of you out there. And I know I we're going to get to this. I don't at, know if I'm saying that elo- uh, clearly enough. I'm hope I'm hoping that I'm articulating because I'm just talking off the top of my head here. Well, and that's what we do here is we riff, but we, it's not uninformed, right? Uh, no, that's um, right. we each come here with a lot of experience. Uh, I think that that's an interesting segue into the notion of storytelling, because I think using stories allows you to 
perhaps overcome some of those assumptions that others may have about you or that you might have about them. Yes. And bridge a communication gap, increase empathy, improve understanding because you start to understand where a person really comes from when you hear their story. Yeah. So, so talk more about that. I know, you know, you're, you're actually going to be speaking about storytelling on Thursday to an organization in, in Cyprus. And I'm, I'm going to hopefully join in and listen, but Richard Branson said that if you want to succeed today as an entrepreneur, or even as a, a business leader, you also have to be a storyteller. Why? What does storytelling do, Christian? Explain to our, our listeners that why is this such an important communication skill? And if, if I'm an engineer or IT professional, what, what use have I of stories? Stories, as he says in this piece later on, you know, is as old as the campfire. <laughs> and as young as a tweet, which means it's an evergreen skill. Uh, we all have experienced this pretty much our entire lives, ever since before we could speak and our parents were reading us bedtime stories and telling us stories. It is the de facto method for sharing the human experience and condition is, is telling stories. Why? because they work <laughs> you can get into all the science we're not getting into it here but it does have actual neurological impacts positive impacts when stories are shared we feel these bonds we've we've experienced these connections with other people in a way that simply sharing facts and figures doesn't do but when we hear that story we put ourselves in another person's shoes we build more empathy, we create more understanding. And it's it's just a fascinating way uh, for, for people to build connection with each other. I, I, I personally have been fascinated by it for years because I've been on the receiving end of hearing a lot of stories, having conducted a lot of interviews in my career, uh, asking people questions about their jobs and how they perform them, and hearing those stories uh, every time. I look at the person differently when I'm done with that hour conversation than I did before I had that conversation. You know, it's, it, it's so true. And it's such a powerful method of connecting with people. And there's a tremendous amount of science behind it. I, I will tell one story. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with, if you're listening to this, even outside of the United States, there's a, there's a military uh, organization or agency in, in the U S military called the defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, or DARPA. You've heard of DARPA. And they were doing research, Christian, around storytelling, specifically as it related to uh, different organizations that were recruiting terrorists who would be willing to blow themselves up. I mean, I know that sounds terrible. We're talking about communication, but they, they were recruiting people to, to, to join their cause that would would commit suicide to really advance the mission, if you will. And so DARPA researched this and studied this. And they're like, how do we begin to start using the power of stories to recruit people 
to not do that, <laughs> to, 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 to live, to, you know, to, to, to fight for, for change in a different way rather than feeling hopeless. And it was through stories. It was through connection and connecting through communities. And, and uh, it is a powerful, powerful way to share ideas and concepts and, and mission and values and ideas and beliefs. So learning how to be a good storyteller is worth the time and the investment. And it's going to take some time to, to learn those skills because many of us are just geared to, hey, let, let's just get the job done. It's all about efficiency. It's all about productivity. And what I'm here to share with you is that this is about productivity and efficiency. And it comes through. One thing that I will say on this, Spencer, and I think it's important, and I'm going to share it with our folks uh, in the PMI chapter on Thursday. You already know how to do this because you've done it your entire life. Love it. Yeah. You've been exposed to this. You just have to take what you do in your normal everyday life and apply it professionally. And it might take some work to figure out how to do that. But all of us tell stories all the time because that's how we've been brought up. We've been raised to tell stories. Everybody shares stories about their experience. So it's not like you've got to go to college and go, you know, three years of residency here and whatever to become a certified storyteller. You already do it. Yeah, but you Everybody got to believe it's important and get comfortable doing it in a professional yes. setting. Now it's like, okay, let me take this skill that I might just, you know, I'm, I'm in a bar, I'm with my friends, we're sharing stories about the soccer team that just won the, the, the World Cup and so on and so forth. And we're talking about these stories. Just take that skill that you use with your friends when you're talking about sports or you're talking about uh, whatever it is, your own, you know, where you grew up and the experience you had, take those skills now and plug them into your workplace. Okay, so we've talked about using metaphors. We gave an example of, of a metaphor in the Jurassic Park theme. We talked about telling stories. Now, the last communication skill that we're going to briefly touch on, how to have confrontation. Know how to be able to confront somebody. And for some of you listening on this call or this, uh, this show right now, you're like, oh, that's terribly uncomfortable. I don't want to have confrontation. The problem is confrontation is happening whether you want to or not. And the, the way to, to reframe your thinking is how long do you want to stay uncomfortable? Because the more you avoid the discomfort, the more discomfort you actually experience. And so learning how to diffuse difficult situations is a communication skill that does take practice, Christian. And it's something that does not come naturally to us. It is the thing that I spend more time with executives on than anything else. Holding people accountable, dealing with poor performance, dealing with uh, just unacceptable behavior. That is a skill that is so hard for people. They want to avoid it or they just want to 
tell someone what, what they need to be doing. And so learning how to do that in a way that keeps the, the, the conversation open, that keeps the, you know, the parties engaged, that is a valuable, valuable skill. And it's adding to your in inflation proofing uh, uh, of your career. And learning how to do this is one of the quickest ways to cut through drama and dysfunction that I was talking about earlier. That is something that I, uh, I say spend time on learning how to do. Okay. Well, how do we do it, Spencer? I know we've only got a few minutes, so you can't, you know, it's hard to do, but, but I, I struggle with this one. I don't like conflict. I avoid confrontation. So I really need these, these, uh, these tips or these skills because it, this has been a big struggle for me. Right. And so the, the first thing that, that you get to be aware of is what is your, what is your confrontation style? I mean, some people love it. They're, you know, I, I, some people who are listening right now are like, Hey, I have no problem with confrontation. I'll tell you what your problem is. And so for them, that actually is, is something that can be not a positive, right? I mean, because if I come into this confrontation and I just steamroll over you, then I shut, I shut down your learning. I shut down your engagement. I shut down potential uh, uh, positive outcomes. And so I need to learn how to pull that back and help you to solve your own problems. Some people on this call may be like you where they're just like, I just don't, I don't want to deal with it. First of all, I think understand the costs and the pain of avoiding that. And just embrace that suck, <laughs> right? You gotta, you, you gotta embrace the discomfort. It's not gonna go away until you start to get a little more comfortable with it. The only way that you're gonna get comfortable with it, Christian, is through reps. Having some of those you know, uncomfortable conversations, see what works, see what doesn't. Think of it as, as going to the gym. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work out. And I, you, you may just need to make sure that after you have a tough conversation that you give yourself some space to recover. Because it's going to take some energy. It's going to take some, you know, you're going to feel a, a little off afterwards. So just, just relax and shut down so that you don't have to do anything else and that you can recover emotionally and mentally. Yes, it takes, it takes work. Um, figure out what it is that, that you're doing in, in the confrontation, needing to be right, not letting the other person speak up. And so these are things that you have to practice. And I think what, what I like to do with, with people, uh, I know what I like to do with people. And I think what helps is actually role-playing. So Christian, for example, if you have to have a difficult conversation with somebody, it actually helps to be prepared for that conversation and not shoot from the hip, right? Because in that tension, in that moment, you don't feel like you know exactly what to say and you feel like you don't perform at your best or you're not even thinking clearly. But if you've practiced that conversation and anticipate what the other person might say, then you feel more confident. Then you feel like you're able to stick with a plan in, and, and not get hijacked off of, uh, into behaving in a way that you will be afraid, uh, ashamed of or frustrated about later. So, so interesting, interesting. Uh, it's very interesting you say this Spencer, uh, because sometimes I have these conversations in my head all the time. 
and I game the worst case scenario, which is now you're afraid I'm start down this road and I see how this conversation escalates and it escalates in a destroyed relationship. And I say to myself, well, I'm not, it's not worth it. I'm just going to let it go because if I, if I let this play out to the conclusion that I've got in my head, it's game over for us. Right. So, what is so, the, so I want you to think of the best scenario too. Yeah. So if you think yeah, of so the that's worst, the question, what's the best? Like how, yes. How do I do that? And, and, and be more, realistic or pragmatic in my own role playing in my head and my preparation so that I'm not defeating myself automatically because I am being overly yes dramatic. So, you, so think of the of worst case term. like you do. Think of the best. So the best case scenario is oh they're gonna they're gonna be so happy. They're gonna accept the feedback humbly. There's not gonna be any further conversation, right? That's the best scenario. Well the reality is going to be somewhere in the middle. Of, of the best case and the worst case scenario. And so what I would recommend in your case then is to get somebody that's more objective about the situation than you. And if you want to practice for the worst case scenario for, for how somebody might respond, well, now you're ready for bear, right? You're loaded for bear as they, as they say. And let me ask you another question on this Spencer. I, and I know we've been going on almost an hour here, so we're going to have to wrap it up, but uh, one piece of advice that I personally have found helpful, I'm curious your take on it, is that uh, when it comes to a potentially confrontational uh, scenario here, is to really focus on behavior and not on character, and not to not to be you know criticized. Well, you're uh, this and you're that, but really just kind of focus on the behavior itself. So what's so your what's your back, feeling that goes that? back to the toxins, right? That's the contempt or, or blaming or direct. And so you, you definitely want to avoid that. You want to have cognitive disagreement rather than affective, which you're focusing on, you know, name calling or, or people or your dislike for somebody. Always focus on issues and not on people, ideas and not on, on personalities. So that's, that is a, uh, thank you for asking that question, but I've got a, I've got another meeting that I got to go to. So I, I know people who are listening do too. So Christian, how can people get a hold of, of you to, to get more of your great knowledge on storytelling and everything else that you're doing in your consulting work? LinkedIn, just look up Christian Napier. You'll find me there and uh, happy to connect with anybody who is uh, listening or viewing the podcast. And similar question for you, Spencer, how do people uh, find you, that these, these folks that need to increase and improve their team performance? So I love LinkedIn. I talk to people on it every day. So reach out to me uh, or on my website, Altium Leadership, A-L-T-I-U-M leadership.com. And uh, thank you. Thank you, listeners, viewers. Please like and subscribe to our podcast and we'll catch you again soon. Thanks. Thanks.